You're listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Yeah, hey, Tony, what's going on? Long day at work, man. I'm ready for round one. What you got? Hey, man, we got a nice, uh, we got a nice strong drink for you there, brother. We call it the Negroni. Man, you hear that? What's 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 that banging, man? You got you got some noise going on, bro. Man. Our bouncer just brought in some pro wrestlers. They're 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 doing all kinds of stuff. Heavy lifting competitions. They're teaching you how to wrestle. They're just being strong men. Oh, and they're trying to wrestle a bear. The good golly, dude! I hope you have insurance for that. Yeah, me too. I'm rocking the beer muscles tonight, man. Hook that up. Okay, man. Okay. We'll throw in an ounce of dry gin. An ounce of bitters liqueur, something like Caprari. Ounce of red vermouth. Put it in your cup with some ice cubes. Stir it. Garnish with some orange. Here, slide that over. Let me check it out. Be careful, because that drink is strong. I'm a suplex this son gun. <laughs> oh! Tap out. I tried to warn you, man. We're going to see what these fools are up to. See you next round. I am here with Philip Wiley, red teamer, seasoned pen tester, ethical hacking instructor, and founder of the Pwn School Project, which offers free pen testing and ethical hacking education to the public. Philip, thank you for your time and welcome to Barcode. Oh, thanks for ha- having me, Chris. It's an honor to be joining. So you've certainly taken an unorthodox path into cybersecurity. I'm very interested in hearing your story. Where exactly did your journey begin? Uh, When I graduated high school, I graduated back in 1984. Computers were in the school, but IT and cybersecurity definitely wasn't even on the radar. And when I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a power lifter. My friends said, hey, you're a big guy. Why don't you be a pro wrestler? So I thought that sounds kind of fun. So. I went to wrestling school and wrestled for a few years. Uh, while I was wrestling, I wasn't able to make you know enough money to support myself off of wrestling. So I worked as a, a bouncer at a nightclub. That was my main job. Uh, so I did that. And, and so I ended up getting married in, in uh, 88 and I needed you know, a better source of income. So I worked various different jobs. It was more conducive to married life. I worked as, you know, uh, retail sales, worked in restaurants, did manual labor and all that stuff. And I really didn't like any of it. And those jobs really didn't provide like insurance and benefits that you need with a family. So I ended up going to trade school and learning CAD and uh, got a job as a CAD draftsman back about 94 or so. Uh, And then I found out about sysadmins during that time because the companies I worked for didn't have dedicated IT. and based on what the sysadmins that were consulting for our company were making, they were making about twice as much as what I was making. So I taught myself how to build computers, eventually took a Novell Netware CNE certification course to learn about the Novell Netware uh, network operating system, which was the main one before Microsoft really took off, before Microsoft uh, created their own directory services, Active Directory is a little harder to manage. So most companies were using 
Novell directory services for their directory services to manage their environment and their users and all that. So I did sysadmin work for a little over six years, found out about security, moved into security in January of 2004, did network security for about a year and a half. And then the company hired a CISO. He came in, he had a better idea of what modern security organizations were like. We were all doing network security, all doing firewall and, and intrusion detection and that sort of thing. And when he came in, he divided us up into different sections. And I fortunately got put into application security. And through application security, that's how I learned about pen testing by using different web application vulnerability scanners. And when I got laid off from my job in 2012, I went to work as a consultant performing pen tests. Worked in consulting for about five years. Uh, really got tired of all the travel. Then went to work for, for a bank doing pen testing. Got out of the consulting part of it. Spent a while at the bank and then went to work for a company doing red teaming, leading a red team. And then the more recent job, I got more in the education side of things. I'd been teaching at a community college and the opportunity came up to work for a company that creates educational content for the U.S. military. So I focused more on the educational side of things. So that's kind of uh, where I came from and how I got here. That's that's an awesome story. And you mentioned you mentioned wrestling. Yeah, because I was uh, wrestling in the NWA or WCW is originally NWA and National Wrestling Alliance. And they retitled like uh, World Championship Wrestling or World Class Wrestling. I can't remember which one it was, but WCW were the Road Warriors, Ric Flair and all those people. That's where I got my start. But I did also wrestle locally in the Dallas area through the uh, wrestling here local. So both nationally and, and local, but it was televised professional wrestling. Nice. Yeah, very, very few people can, can reach that pro level. That's quite an accomplishment. Now, I hear about this story about wrestling a bear. It, it was while I was wrestling because I was working as a bar, I mean, not a bartender, but a bouncer at a nightclub. And since I was a local guy, and was a pro wrestler, they had this wrestling bear coming in. They would do special events. You know, the, the club, nightclub would run, uh, you know, bands like on Thursday through Saturday night, but it really wasn't worth the, the mouth to pay to bands to have them on, on Sundays. So they'd have different events, usually less expensive. So, um, yeah, they decided to do this uh, event, bring in this wrestling bear. And since I worked at the nightclub and I was a local guy, they asked me if I'd wrestle the bear. So they took some of my wrestling promo pictures and pictures of the bear and created picture these posters and put them all over town to try to help bring in people for the event. And it wasn't only me that got to wrestle the bear. Anyone who wanted to wrestle the bear could wrestle the bear. So that's kind of kind of how that happened. It was an interesting thing. And it's funny how it's helped me more in my professional career, you know, giving some people something to remember me by than it did in my wrestling career. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's insanity. That's something that I'm sure you carried over into your cybersecurity career. Yeah. For me, what really helped was, you know, this all came out of powerlifting, being competitive, being goal oriented. I was always setting goals for myself, you know, back earlier on is more related to powerlifting things that really didn't help me career wise, but that transferred over to my career. So like when I work worked in where consulting, we had billable hours. So I made sure to make my schedule where I could be as billable as possible. You know, just other things I've tried to do 
my best to, and so that's just kind of carried over to other areas. I mean, from powerlifting to, to my professional career, you know, I'm not the best at what I do, but I try to be the best I can and try to really do good at the areas I'm in. One of the things I kind of learned too is, you know, getting older, it's kind of, you know, back when I was younger, I could compete in the open divisions and powerlifting. So I was competing against people, you know, quite a bit younger than myself, but as you get older, that's kind of hard to, to do. You start, you know, your strength is not as good as it once was. And, and you have to take that, you know, into consideration and the same thing with, with, you know, working in the offensive security field, you know, there's younger people coming up that they can put in more hours, stay up later. Cause that's easy to do when you're young, it gets more difficult when you're older. And I kind of learned that my place is probably better fit as a coach and a teacher. And so moving into those roles has actually been better, better for me, you know, working in those roles, you know, there may be other pen testers, but I think, you know, it's easier for me to be one of the better coaches or, or teachers. And so that's where I kind of settled in and accepted that, you know, age and, you know, people need, you know, mentors and, and coaches and teachers. Did you have any mentors when you entered the industry to guide you or did you lean on self-study? It was self-study myself and some other people that I knew when I was getting in, getting started, we'd share resources, you know, really didn't have any mentors back when in my powerlifting days, you know, I had mentors back then because uh, when I first started powerlifting, the, the guys that ran the, owned the gym where I worked out at, they coached me. And so I had mentorship there. And, you know, a lot of the lessons I learned from, from powerlifting carried over, you know, people think it's a meathead sport, but there's a lot of discipline and things that you gain from sports. I mean, you know, even if you're in it for a little while, you learn, uh, you know, teamwork, you learn work ethic and, and that sort of thing and setting and working to achieve goals. Really? You've been in the industry then for a while now. 2012 since I started pen testing, but as far as just pure security, uh, I started in 2004, but I started as a sysadmin in 97. So I, overall, I've been in IT and security for a little over 23 years. And most of that's been security related with the last little over eight and a half years in offensive security. Got it. So heavily focused on the pen testing and ethical hacking side. Yes. How has the practice of pen testing changed? and evolved into 2021 versus when you first got involved from both the tool set and a mindset perspective? Yeah, it's interesting. One of the biggest changes was the amount of people in the field doing pen testing. Because when I got started in 2012 was really before, I don't, I'm not sure if, I don't think PCI was a, a requirement then. People weren't doing pen tests towards that. It might've been, if you think actually PCI was just getting started because I remember one of the first or one of my first solo network pen tests was for PCI, but it really wasn't that big of a requirement. And most of our jobs weren't uh, focused on PCI, but as the need for PCI grew, more companies needed pen testers. So the biggest thing I saw was it going from contractors and consultants to people having their own internal resources. I remember when I was starting out, like in the local Dallas uh, security and hacker community, I would go to meetups and it'd be like Wirefall, the, the guy that runs and founded uh, Dallas Hackers Association, Association. It'd be he and myself and maybe one or two other people that were pen testers. And now it's amazing how it's grown. So mainly the way it's grown has helped. The learning resources has helped a lot. There's been a lot of great resources over the years when I was getting started out. There was some resources, but there weren't as many free resources. 
you know, when I was getting started out, you had like Got Milk's blog, you had um, Arnold Ownage, Mubix had some stuff out there. So you didn't have all the blogs and now it's just amazing all the free stuff and blogs out there and learning resources. You know, when I was starting out, I had the offensive security stuff because one of the first courses I took was the OSCP course to learn how to hack. I knew how to run vulnerability scanners, but I didn't know the first thing about hacking. So I took the OSCP to learn how to hack. I was taking Pentester Academy's uh, content back when they were getting that back when they were still security tube. And then like e-learn security, those were like few, you know, Sam's was out, but I couldn't afford that out of my own pocket. But a lot of the educational stuff has really helped, you know, help has been helpful here lately. And then tools have evolved. Metasploit's become a better tool. You know, Kali Linux has become more solid. There's com competition for it out there now with Parrot OS, which is a good competitor and a really solid platform. So all the community uh, helping has really helped a lot. And one of the things I've seen different with security, and maybe it's the evolution of security, is back in my sysadmin days, you had some of these gatekeepers or people that were, you know, job security. I'm not going to let you know what I know. I'm not going to teach you or share this with you because now I'll be replaceable. You know, I'm, I want to make more money and all this. And it's kind of evolved, at least in the security world, where people are sharing and helping others out. And that's, that's some things that's, that's helped the industry, but the tools have improved. You know, you got more people writing tools at one time, they were less, less security tools out there, less hacking tools, but it's become, you know, a lot more, there's competition that makes the existing tools, uh, better tools, just like burp suite, you know, a commercial tool, but OWASP zap is a free, uh, version of a similar, similar tool. And it's forced, you know, burp suite port swigger to keep creating a better product and, the competition is helping. And, you know, there's a lot of bright minds in the industry, these different uh, boutique pen testing firms and security researchers that keep creating these great tools. I mean, it's really, really evolved a lot. And it's, uh, you know, a lot of the things, even like SANS courses have evolved and they offer just about everything that you could think of as far as like uh, educational content for offensive security or even blue team. Definitely. So, and, and one of the things I've noticed, and maybe you can attest to this, is over the past 10 years, just seeing the development of more CTFs. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, you know, CTFs are helpful because, you know, teaching and trying to help people get into the industry, things I recommend for them to do, CTFs, you know, hack the box, try hack me, those other different, you know, ball hub to download the vulnerable VMs. Bug bounties are a good option, you know, because one time you didn't have the bug bounties, but you had all these other hacking sources. But, you know, people can actually get experience, you know, with pen testing, performing bug bounties. And while I was going through a job change not too long ago, uh, one of the companies I was talking to, a consulting company, they were telling me, yeah, we've, we've been able to easier, more easily find you know, people do web app pen tests because of bug bounties. So those things are helping and, and hack the box. I've seen people that did nothing but focus on hack the box for a year solid and then sign up for the OSCP course and get by with like 90 days lab access and pass the, the exam first time around, getting a hands-on experience. You know, the books are great, but you got to get the hands-on experience. And so, yeah, that's really, really good options. You know, even back to the CTF thing, National Cyber League, is a CTF competition for schools. I think they, uh, they allow high school into it, but it's mostly college. And so those competitions, people will compete 
in those competitions and companies will sell that company will share with employers the ranking. So if they see someone that's rated at this, Hey, I'd like to talk to this person. They can connect them and they can get a job. So it's helping people get jobs. You know, some CTFs at conferences have offered people jobs. I knew someone from the local community that's a really great pen tester and hacker and does really well at CTFs. He got offered a job by Raytheon because he was able to solve their CTF like in a matter of an hour or two. And it's supposed to have been like a two day CTF. It should take someone two days to solve it, but he found an O day in the, the CTF and was able to solve it pretty quickly. And he got offered a job. So this, the CTFs and that sort of thing help people get their foot in the door, you know, easier than if they didn't have it. Yeah. Great hands-on experience. And it, it doesn't hurt that organizations like bug crowd and hacker one offer a nice payday too with that. I'm sure that that drives a lot of involvement and, and public interest. Yes. And that's one of the things that I, I was a bug crowd ambassador for a while back when I started shortly after I started teaching and then founding Pwn School, I became one of the first ambassadors and ended up getting ambassador of the year. And part of it for me was I've been telling my students to do CTFs and bug bounties. So I wanted to learn more about that to, you know, point them in the right direction, guide them a little better. And yeah, the cool thing about bug bounties, one of the things I love is I've seen people in other countries that don't have the opportunities that we have here in the U.S. have been able to make a good living for themselves. I've seen people have bought cars that they wouldn't be able to afford. Otherwise, they've been able to buy, you know, brand new high-end laptops like a MacBook Pro Alienware, some high-end gaming laptop, and be able to provide for themselves. There's some people that just make a living off of bug bounty. You know, they'll do it so many months out of the year, they'll take a break and just enjoy life and then go back to it and make money. I mean, it's a very lucrative. It's but you have to put in hard work and you have to spend the time to get good at it. It's not like anyone's gonna sign up and make a living. You have to work hard and put in effort. And the thing I compare bug bounty to when you compare it to traditional pen testing. It's like hunting for game and hunting for food. If you have to hunt to feed yourself, you're going to be more successful because you have to do it to survive. If you're doing it for game, then you're not going to do as well. So bug bounty people, and this is not always the same, the same thing, but it forces you to work harder because if you're doing a pen test, you've got 40 hours to complete this pen test. You get in and try to get it done. But with a bug bounty researcher, if you don't find bugs, you're not going to get paid. So there's a little incentive to make you work harder. That's a great point. A lot of these freelance pen testers are really targeting the big payday because that's what they rely on. It just seems like you're swimming with the sharks at that point. I mean, I'm sure there's really top level professionals that target those platforms. What could you speak to on that? Yeah, as far as that goes, it's just going to depend on, you know, you know, how quickly you want to get paid. And one of the things too, that the companies are offering uh, bug crowd started implementing this last year, they got their next gen pen test. And basically what they do is they perform a penetration test during a bug bounty. So you're not only having the bug bounty running, you've got someone performing a pen test against that application and other companies do that as well. Uh, Synac, you know, the Synac red team product, they do like, like a crowdsourced pen test and also like cobalt cobalt uh, cobalt core you know or cobalt.io they they provide something where people sign up like on synac or cobalt you're performing pen tests and they and you're like cobalt i'm a little more familiar with they pay like fifteen hundred dollars for 
you know, 33 hour pen test or 30 hour pen test. So you get paid, you perform the pen test, you're going to get paid. And sometimes that's a better option if you need guaranteed money, because with the bug bounty stuff, it can be kind of uh, tough to compete because whoever finds the bug first is going to get paid, and, you know, does the good write up, you know, where if you're working through like a Cenac doing a bug crowd next gen pen test or, you know, a cobalt pen test, you know, you, you can get paid. And so that's where a lot of people are going to focus. And with, with a bug crowd, I know there, if, as you progress, you are involved on their platform, then you get invited to private bug bounties, which sometimes have a better payouts. There's less people on it. And then you get invited to like their next gen pen tests. So part of these pen test platform, I mean, bug crowd, bug bounty platforms, the more time you spend, the better you do, the better opportunities you get. But yeah, one of the things is just getting the experience starting out. Bug bounties may be a good way to go because like Cobalt, you have to go through and Synac, you have to go through these technical challenges where you perform like a pen test against a target to get selected to do those pen tests. So you have to pass that. So you may need some training up front that may require, you know, practicing with your hack the box or doing bug bounties to, to learn as you go and get that experience. And when you get that experience, you know, as far as getting like a full-time pen test job, you're able to explain how you perform a pen test, how you're able to detect certain types of vulnerabilities and exploit them. So these are things that you can use on a pen test interview. Then in addition to the training platform, I'm sure pen testers need to focus on what they've learned and the rudimentary aspects of it. But would you say there's a level of creativity also that's needed to become elite? Uh, yes. Yeah. It's, you need some creativity. And one of the things I'll say about offensive security and, and, you know, there's other areas that require creativity, but offensive security does require creativity, especially when you're someone that's, you know, discovering O days, you know, you're doing something that someone hasn't done before. That's why it's an O day, or at least on that specific software or, or technology that you're hacking. So it takes some creativity. And as you build that experience up, doing different types of hacks and learning different technologies, you're able to apply that creativity. So yeah, it's, it is very creative. And, and honestly, how I even found out about the bug bounty community is I learned some good uh, pen testing tricks for some of the bug bounty people. Uh, one of the first ones I followed was like Jason Haddix. He, he was at bug crowd uh, for many years and he's a, a bug hunter and seeing some of the techniques, cause these are things that are transferable to web app pen testing because you know, bug hunting is web app pen testing. It's just more bounty per bug found opposed to getting paid for the, the pen test itself. But, but those are really good places to learn. Definitely. You mentioned a lot of great techniques and great training and learning platforms. Are there any that you would advise for someone that is looking to get into pen testing? I would say as far as training, training vendors, uh, the ones I recommend, and this is no, no specific order, uh, SANS, you know, SANS is created by people that are in the industry that have like consulting backgrounds. So it's not just someone purely academic and they do a good job of keeping their stuff up to date. E-Learn Security, which was recently or was acquired by INE last year. Uh, they have some good learning materials. Pentester Academy has some good content. Uh, Pentester Labs. And like your Pentester Labs and Pentester Academy are going to be a little less expensive. Your SANS training is going to take, you know, usually... Uh, you know, your employer is going to need to pay for it because that's like 3800 for like a three-day class and like $7,200 for a six-day class. 
but you know, these are things if your if your company will pay for it, great, that's good to get. But uh, you know, like I said, the and then the INE or e-learn security stuff is good too. But it's you know, some people getting started out may not have the budget for that. But like your Pentester Academy and Pentester Lab, they have like monthly subscriptions and and they're a little more cost effective. Port Swigger has a really good uh, free training because the one of the creators of uh, Burp Suite wrote a book and also that was based on, you know, teaching you how to use Burp Suite, but teaching you web app pen testing. Instead of updating that book, they put it all online on their Web Security Academy. And it's a totally online lab, totally free. And it takes you from beginner level to advanced. And so a lot of people that are bug bounty, I see a lot of recommendations there on that. So those are good, good platforms. I would, you know, there's some good Udemy courses like Heath Adams, the, the cyber mentor, he's got some good content out there. Uh, there's some good, you know, uh, streamers out there like Ipsec, John Hammonds. So those are some good people to follow. Nahamsek, uh, Ben from, from uh, hacker one, he's got good content. So there's a lot of good free stuff out there. So, you know, if you want to get started pretty quick, you know, these people on the bug bounty platforms are, you know, like Ben, for instance, at, at HackerOne, he's trying to help people learn to get on their platform. So there's a lot of good content out there. And then there's, you know, people from Bug Crowd that has still continued long since uh, Jason Haddix has left. Uh, so, I, and one of the things is, is, is talk to people, you know, that's been in the industry, find vetted uh, content. There's a lot of stuff offered out there. You know, everyone is trying to make a buck or they're, you know, wanting to create content not everyone is an expert. So, I mean, I saw a book recently and I won't mention the book, but um, I was considering another teaching opportunity at the college level and the course book they use kind of swayed me from working for them because it was supposed to be this manual. This is what they're using for their class manual for the ethical hacking course. And it was only like 63 pages. And the people that wrote the book had no experience in security. So if you know someone in the field, follow people that, that are industry experts and get their opinions and get vetted content. You don't want to waste a lot of time and money trying to vet these out yourself. Because I have people from time to time will reach out to me and say, hey, I saw this deal on this, on this platform. They got all their classes offered for X amount of money. And, and you know, they asked me and I'll check it out and I'll let them know what I think. So that's what you need to do, vet those because it's, sometimes you can find that stuff pretty expensive, but you don't want to waste a bunch of hours on something that you're, that's going to, you know, steer you the wrong way. Right. And you always hear about these script kiddies that are watching YouTube videos and figuring out how to break into systems, you know, from the ethical hacking standpoint, I'm sure you would definitely advise against just going to XYZ website and trying to hack in there. There is a level of, uh, approved platforms that you can do this with. And I just want to make sure that, that line gets drawn. Yeah, definitely. Because there's, there's platforms on there like hack the box and these different platforms you can learn on and the bug bounties. So you, there's no need putting your future career at risk because if you get a felony on your record, it's going to be hard to get a job. So you want to be very careful with that. And, you know, bug crowd, hacker one, cobalt, these other platforms, Synac, you know, use those platforms, your, your, your Google, your Facebook, and Apple, they have bug bounty programs, but make sure you're following those closely. But I would say when you're starting out, I would recommend going through a company that provides that as a service. That way they can educate you on the scope, what you should be doing and, and kind of give you some protection because some of those provide like uh, 
protection against, you know, because, you know, so there's been cases where people have done bug bounties and the companies have come after them legally after they found a bug. So, you know, you have to just be, have to be really careful. There's so many resources out there and people to get advice from. I mean, like Nahamsek on, you know, follow him on Twitter. You know, if you have questions, ask those people, ask the bug bounty community. They can kind of tell you the safe places to, to practice. If you see something, ask someone, because there are people out there too that may want to leverage someone's hacking skills to break into their ex, their ex's Facebook account or say they're wanting a pen test and get you to hack into something. So people will try to take advantage of those skills. So be very careful. And one of the quotes I like to share with my students each semester and and a talk I become on becoming a pen tester was from that I first heard in Spider-Man. Uncle Ben was telling Peter, with great power comes great great responsibility. So when you get those skills, be careful. I mean, it's like it's like a weapon or something. If you you're into firearms and you have that, you need to be responsible. And the same thing with hacking skills, you need to be responsible for that because you could cause harm. You know, maybe someone does something illegal, you don't get caught, but maybe you're causing someone a lot of financial grief or someone's information gets exposed and cause them trouble. So, you know, with those skills, make sure you use them responsibly. Yeah. I love that quote. I use that all the time. And <laughs> um, so you have some very notable certifications you mentioned, such as the OSCP, GWAPT and the CISSP. How valuable would you say that certifications are specifically for showing that someone has knowledge and skills in pen testing? It's, it's very important when you're starting out. The CISSP is not really important for pen testers, although it doesn't hurt. If you're working for a consulting company or trying to go to work for a consulting company, your certifications are gonna be more valuable. Your boutique pen test firms where people are just really good, you know, hackers and pen testers and ninjas, they don't always require it, but some of your more mainstream consulting companies like to have that because if they're trying to get a contract with some big fortune 500 company they want to show these are the qualifications for our people so the certifications are really going to help when you're trying to get your foot in the door but once you're established and in there it's not going to matter so much it's going to be a matter you know hr is going through you're on it you submitted to a job site they're looking at you know checkbox looking at this the certification that once you get into the field and you make a name for yourself and start networking then a lot of cases you can, you, you know, get referrals from your network and you don't require it, but starting out, it's definitely going to help. Otherwise it's going to be more difficult. Then you're going to have to rely more heavily on doing bug bounties and the stuff you do like, you know, capture the flags and all those, you know, hack the box and that sort of thing to prove that, you know, what you're doing to get in. But the, the certifications will make your life easier getting started out. It's not going to be the end all be all, your your CEH that's recognized by HR. It's a DOD cert. So the DOD certs, if you're doing business with the government or working for the government, those can be helpful. But if you're wanting certifications that kind of prove that you know something and your skills, then your SANS certifications, uh, your offensive security certifications are good. And then some of the e-learn security INE certifications are becoming more, more uh well-known and and sought after for you know jobs i've actually seen some some jobs recently where they were looking for some of the e-learn security certifications so getting started out you definitely are going to need those certifications and i know a lot of good pen testers that have no certifications and they're just as good or better than a lot of people with the certifications understood and i really respect those certs like the oscp where 
you have the study, but then there's also the practical aspect. Yes. So from an organizational standpoint, what would you say is the best way to communicate and prioritize your findings for the decision makers? Yeah. If you're the person you're reporting to, there should be like a, a list of contacts. So someone you reach out to. And it's like, if you're an internal pen tester somewhere, uh, the first people you're going to reach out to is, you know, let your immediate supervisor know about findings if it's critical or high, because you find those kind of things, you want to report those immediately because that's just something waiting to be exploited. So make sure you're reporting it to your direct supervisor and then anyone like in the incident response team and that sort of thing. There sh- you should have some list of contacts there. And when you're building out these type of programs, make sure you're including incident response, you know, even the people r- responsible for remediation and, and get that out there as soon as you find if anything high or critical. If it's something you find, like say it's an O-day that something hasn't been discovered before, then you would treat that as a, a critical. You want those to be uh, remediated as soon as possible. Great advice. I do want to hit on one recent event, which is the SolarWinds hack. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but I'm curious to know what will be the long-term changes and impacts after this vast breach of private and government organizations. Yeah, I didn't dig a real deep into that, but some of the things I'd seen was like some default creds somewhere and that sort of thing. So just making sure that that the software is secure. I think that... Uh, you know, they, there needs to really be some, you know, scrutiny on those applications, not only through your software development lifecycle, you know, you need pen tests performed and and even go out and get third parties because it's good to have your own internal, internal pen test team. But when you're using a third party consulting company or use bug bounties, then you're getting someone else to take a look at your program and just kind of, you know, it's a report card to see how well you're doing. So those need to be done. So I'd say, you know, a second set of eyes looking at it. And, and do things like, uh, you know, make sure you're requiring passwords to be changed, that default credentials can't be used. A lot of the basic stuff, if it's taken care of, you can eliminate some of these, some of these risks. But I think really thoroughly testing the software and do like some adversarial testing, like your red team related stuff. You know, sometimes if it's a software company, they're only focused on the software. But what if someone was able to compromise and breach that infrastructure and get in and get access to source code and, and modify it or something like that. So I think you just need to make sure that you're thoroughly looking at everything under a microscope and covering all your bases. You know, like for instance, companies that are relying on just PCI pen tests for their compliance, you know, make sure you're testing the security. If you're secure, most cases you're going to take care of those compliance checkboxes, make security the priority and compliance secondary to those. Right. And within the this COVID era that we're in right now, you do have organizations that are adjusting their infrastructure. You know, does that change anything with this approach? What it requires is you need to do make sure you're testing, you know, some of your your installs, you know, your gold image for your laptops and and mobile devices. You need to make sure those are really secure because when you're in the office, you're on the network. I mean, it still needs to be secure, but you've got a higher concentration of people that are remotely connecting. You know, make sure that you're using, you know, some secure to connect. You know, like VPNs or some of the other secure authentication mechanisms and using multi-factor. And, you know, not just SMS, you know, doing some secure uh, mobile commu- you know, uh, communications and stuff. Like I said, 
you know, test those images. So a lot, a lot of times companies aren't pen testing the clients. Sometimes maybe they're just focused on the servers. So you need to make sure you're, you're testing, you know, these, uh, the applications running on mobile devices, and then, you know, make sure you're testing the, the client devices and the VPN setups. Cause like I said, sometimes people are only focused on the infrastructure and the, uh, you know, servers, but you need to make sure everything is in there, you know, make sure that make recommendations, you know, make sure you're defining secure, uh, remote connectivity and that sort of stuff for end users, because not everyone working from home, you know, has IT or security experience. So make sure you're teaching them good OPSEC and, and that. So the more educated you can make your end, end users, the better and more secure you're going to be as well. Very true. I'm curious to know in those situations where companies are limiting budget right now, where would you point them to properly allocate defense measures? What what would you place a priority on at this point? As far as like from 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 my expertise, you know, I would say that you're you're needed to make sure your offensive security that you've got a good program there. And it's not only pen testing, but your reoccurring vulnerability scans, part of your threat and vulnerability management program. Make sure you got those bases covers covered in your re- reoccurring scanning. One of the things too is educate the people that are doing the work for you because if they don't understand what they're doing, then there's a lot of things they can miss. Because if you're running Nessus, Qualys, or Nexpose vulnerability scans, there could be some manual tools that they're using. Uh, you know, maybe educate your vulnerability scanning team to be able to validate some of those findings that they could help offload some of the the work from the pen testers. You know. And then make sure you're doing proper remediation. Make sure you're remediated. I've done pen tests before where I did a pen test in January, came back 90 days later to do a retest. The low-level found finding that I discovered in January now has an exploit for it, and it's like high. So make sure you're taking care of the remediation because you know those lows are just an, an O-day or exploit away from being criticals or high. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you founded the Pwn School, which is an education and virtual learning platform. I'd like to hear more about that and your inspiration there. Yeah. Pwn School kind of evolved out of my classroom because the first semester I taught, the students were really enjoying the ethical hacking class. It was the only offensive security course that the college was offering at the time. Since then, like last year, I expanded into web app pen testing. So they wanted to learn something else. And so I thought about getting together with them after hours on the weekends and teach them some other techniques and stuff. And I was prepared to teach this all by myself on my own. And, you know, I kind of, this was kind of a thought on the back burner really hadn't put a lot of effort into getting and moving, but there was a couple uh, young college students in the community that they went to a different college. They were going to have to transfer to the college I taught out to be able to take the class. So they weren't able to get in in time for the summer class. And I was really disappointed. So this really motivated me to work on, on Pwn School. Originally, it was going to be more just defensive security focused, but as time got, went on, I seen the need for other areas of security. Not everyone wants to start out in defensive security, and sometimes that's not the, the place to start. You may have to start out in other areas like an IT or a SOC analyst to eventually become a pen tester. So we kind of opened it up to other areas. And there were two physical meetups one was in Dallas, Texas, and one was in Denton. And Denton, Texas was where I grew up and I got some friends that work in security there. There was no security community, no meetup. So that's one of the motivations for there. And it was my, my uh, hometown and then Dallas for the local community. So these were like a meetup format and 
like around February of last year, I started streaming the Dallas meetups. So that way it would be available to people that are not local and recording those and put them on YouTube. And so once COVID hit earlier this year, we are already been streaming, you know, phone school and I've been streaming my class for, for about a year now. So it was easy to transition over just going to zoom and do that. So it's been mainly kind of a meetup format. Uh, let's see, I had Meryl Vernon on this week. She told us about her path into uh, pen testing and red teaming. She's got a really impressive story how she started out with really not much of a technical background, but really worked hard, picked it up and got into it. Then we had uh, Chad Graham from the local community did a talk on digital forensics and instant response. He talked about like a, a ransomware attack and went through almost in a tabletop exercise format showing us what he found asking questions of the audience. What do you think this means? Where would you look for this? Very interactive. And we've had someone do talks on, on SOC analysts. And one of the things, my goals that to do in, in 2021 is with my class, I used to let people audit my class and basically you get to take the class for free. You just didn't get college credit. And you know that you can't do enough with letting two or three people in. So I wanted to come up with a mentorship program. So my idea is to expand Pwn School is to implement this mentorship program so people can sign up. They can get you know weekly lectures. And if there are different time zones, they'll be able to watch the recordings and then have some hands-on exercises and stuff for people to go through and complete. And I've talked to some other people in the community that are interested in helping out that work in other areas of security. So to come up with more content that we can place online or at least find references to other learning materials and, and share those so people can learn. So that's kind of the plans to expand it. My original goal was it to be more education oriented. And I want to get back to that focus and then get that rolling in, in 2021, be less more of a just a virtual meetup, but more more of an educational opportunity. Yeah, you are an extreme advocate for education. And that's something I really admire about you. Most of the talks that you mentioned also are freely available online. So I will work on locating them and get those posted to the barcode website. And then anything that you do in the near future, if you want to shoot me a link for that, I'll make sure we get those added as well. Okay, thanks. Appreciate that. So you're currently living outside of the Dallas area. What's the best bar to go to out there? What would you, what would be a classic Texas bar that you can think of that you would recommend to an outsider? Yeah, especially kind of touristy kind of stuff. I've I haven't been there personally, but I know people that go there is like the uh, Gas Monkey. Why? Oh, yeah, they, yeah, they've got a pretty nice. They've got like a. They even have like a concert venue, and then they have like a nightclub that's supposed to be pretty cool. Nice. I got to check that out. I remember. When I, when I went out there, um, we used to go over to the stockyards and yeah. there was a, I can't remember the name of the bar. It was like Billy Bob's or something. Yep. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That place is massive. So yeah, if you want the traditional places that are not a little less, maybe touristy gas monkey, I wouldn't say it's probably touristy, but if you're in Fort Worth, the stockyards, if you're in Dallas, deep Ellum, that's a, a arts and music district. So a lot of bands kind of start out in that area. So, you know, Dallas, you'd probably want to check out you know, that area, because I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. Like it's, like I said, it's, you know, arts and, and music, and there's a lot of like startup incubator type places down there too. Cause there was a group called O'Day all day. That was a security research group that they'd meet 
quarterly and work on different bug bounties and try to exploit different hardware and stuff. And they met one of those uh, shared office spaces over there. Yeah, that's where all the great ideas are are formed. Yeah. The CD alleys and basement bars. Yep. So I guess when you go to a bar, what what is your uh, what is your poison now? What do you drink? Is it you said you're not really into beer or, or craft cocktails right now? Um, do you more go just for the atmosphere? Yes, yeah, more, more for atmosphere. When I do go, when we go to the conferences and stuff, usually out of out of town, I got to go to some really cool bars in Austin last year. They were were pretty unique and had a really cool vibe. One of them, you know made you think of some kind of vampire's lair. It was all dark and some candles was pretty cool. And another place was like a speakeasy, really classy cocktails, nice vibe to the place. And there was like a theme around all the drinks. It wasn't just a drink. There was a story and the waitress would come out and describe all this to you. The descriptions of the drinks were really pretty cool. It was a really cool, uh, you know, atmosphere to the place. Very cool. Well, I just heard last call here, so I have one last question for you. If you opened a cybersecurity-themed bar, what would the name be, and what would your signature drink be called? Hmm, let's see what. I think kind of, you know, with the red team mindset and kind of understanding the mind of a threat actor, I think a really cool bar would be the APT bar. And not, nice. only, a, not only a signature drink, but all the drinks would be named after APTs or they wouldn't have, they could be fictional. They don't have to be, you know, with all the, the Russian influenced APTs, then, you know, that covers your Moscow mules. You could come up with another name for that. Your black Russian, white Russian, you could give them different APT names, but I think just different APT themes, you know, kind of back talking about the bars really had the atmosphere and the themes to it. The, the experience, I think you could really do that. You could have like that experience for the drinks. They'd be described. It could be something related to the regions that those nation states out that those those APTs are in. So I think it really and have like a kind of a cyberpunk vibe to it. I think that would be pretty cool. That would be really cool. So APT with ABV. <laughs> <laughs> and you could uh you could almost rank those drinks by threat level. So yeah. more ABV is a higher threat. Yeah, you could have something similar to MITRE but for these, you know. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, Philip, you are a true inspiration, and I really appreciate your stance on cybersecurity, where it is today, and I wish you the best, and please keep on leading the charge. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks, Philip. Take care. Take care. Barcode patrons. If you enjoyed this episode and want an easy way to support the podcast, please leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you're not on a Mac or iPhone, just visit the barcodepodcast.com slash reviews. I appreciate all the support. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.